Amen. One of my favorite movie series is the Terminator movie series. How many of y'all seen the Terminator? Terminator, it's a little, it's a little rough. But, but I, I like the Terminator because I, I, I like the, I, I kind of like the Terminator's grind, man. I mean, the Terminator got a, a, a banging grind. He has a grind that, a grind and an ethic like no other person I've ever seen uh, on this planet or even in a movie have. Because the, the Terminator came from a, came from another spot. He was already programmed for a specific mission. And, and, and the Terminator was so passionate about his mission that he wouldn't let anyone get in the way of him completing that mission. Um, he knew what he was called to do. And not only did the Terminator know what he was called to do, but he would risk death um, in the midst of passionately and intensively pursuing um, what he was programmed to do. And so as we, as we dive back into John, we see Jesus having the determination beyond that of the Terminator. We see Jesus Christ who was sent by the Father to do a specific work um, overwhelmingly passionate about what God had called him to do and did not want anything to get in the way of what God wants him to do and is even willing to die for what God wants him to do. And so today, and so today as we get into this text, is it's a weighty, 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 weighty text. Um, it's a heavy text, and it's none like it really in the New Testament. There's some uh, similarities, but Jesus says some stuff about himself um, that most people aren't used to him saying about himself. Last week, we left off at Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda on a, on an, on a day that was a high day for the Jews was a, was a time of feasting. And he made a beeline not to the feast, but he made a beeline over to where a bunch of invalids were, where a bunch of jacked up people were, where people were blind, where people couldn't hear, where people couldn't walk, where people had a lot of physical issues and even mental issues. And it smelled over that place we talked about, how a lot of them um, either used the bathroom in that place or they used the bathroom on themselves in that place because, their, because of their paralysis. Not only that, the water was dirty because of um, the sheep being washed in the water, that they were waiting for God to do something unique in that dirty water so that they can go down and dip into that dirty water and be made new. And we saw that being an invalid and the, and the God that Jesus Christ healed was extremely close to the nature and spiritual life of the people of Israel. And so now Jesus is now on the defensive because all of that work that he did, the Bible explicitly says that it was on the Sabbath. And because it was on the Sabbath, they had issues with Jesus Christ doing these issues on the Sabbath. And so as we look in verse 16, where we ended, it says, And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Then it says, But he answered and said to him, them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Say Christology. A little louder. Christology is a term that was coined by theologians to capsulize who Jesus is. Anything that you want to know about Jesus, 
Theologians utilize the term Christology, coming from the Greek word Christos, to put under the umbrella everything about Jesus. And today we're going to dive into that Christology. Christology includes three main things about Jesus. Three main things about Jesus. The first thing that Christology tells us about Jesus is it tells us that Jesus existed before he became a human being, took on an additional nature. So there are things about him that we need to know in relation to who he was eternally. But not only that, um, when he took on an additional nature and became what we call incarnate or became flesh, um, there were certain attitudes, there were certain distinctions that were different um, than it was when he, before he came to planet Earth. But then Jesus also has a, a, th- a third thing about him that we put under that umbrella. It's Jesus Christ after the resurrection in his glorified state. And under each one of those, the preexistence of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, and, and the exaltation or the glorious lifting up of the sun to all of his glory to be crowned eternal king of the universe. There are a lot of different things under those. And because of the historic Christian faith and because of uh, 2000, uh, about 1700 years ago, the Council of Nicaea met about these three issues very deeply. And they met about these things because they knew that if they didn't get this right, that it was going to make or break Christianity. And, 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 and so what they wanted to do is they wanted to get that right. And so over the generations, the, from the apostles uh, 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 to the church fathers, to the apologists, and on through history, there is a succession of us repeating those same things that has been agreed over the centuries about who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And sometimes when I read the Bible, I come to a difficult text that seems to infringe upon the historic Christian faith. And so what happens is, is we've got to learn as Christians, especially as we go to this text, I want you to trek with me. Um, we have to be careful as Christians to read all that we know about everything that we've learned in the Bible into every text that we read. Because sometimes we will try to overprotect Something that God is not wanting us to protect. Because God protects it himself. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere with all of this. It is extremely important that when we come to church, that we don't just come for our bills to get paid. It's very important that when we come to church, we don't just come to feel better. It's very, very, very important that we don't just come to church for God to come through for us. And the reason why I'm saying this is because of what I'm about to dive through, like Pastor Deuce was talking about earlier. Many times we check out when doctrine's on the table. You know, it's not interesting. But I want you to understand something. If we don't have proper doctrine... What will happen, and especially a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. This is this is Christology summed up: who Jesus Christ is, and what He was sent to do. If we don't have a proper and clear understanding of Christology, say it again. If we don't have a proper understanding of Christology, then what will happen is. 
is you will be asking God for stuff that he won't do because you're not going to him by way of Christ. You're going to him by way of your own desire to have him do something for you. And so what happens is, is that Jesus, listen, we are, we are Jesus freaks here. We love to talk about Jesus. We believe that there's power in the name of Jesus. We believe that not just saying the name, but we want all of the multivitamins and minerals that's in the name of Jesus to be applied to our life. And in order to properly access Jesus, the key of David, who unlocks all of the promises that God promises every every covenant community, Jesus properly understood in context, pre-existence, incarnation, glorification is the proper key to unlock everything that God has for us. But the thing that we want is many times we want to make the beeline to what God wants for us without using the key of David properly to unlock it. Because when we have to pass through Jesus to get it, then there are certain criterion that God wants us to submit to. And so today, we're going to dive into Christology 101. Christology 101. And one of the greatest people to talk about Christology was not the apostles, was not the prophets, but Jesus himself. As accurate as they are and inerrant as they are, it's always good to hear from the horse's mouth. And it, everything that we get about a partic- depth in a particular doctrine in the New Testament, most of the time comes from an improper understanding of it, and therefore a correction is being emitted so that people can get a proper understanding so Jesus will not be misunderstood. And we're in a text today where Jesus heals on the Sabbath, And Jesus is misunderstood by his contemporaries. He's misunderstood. And and he said, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Verse 16 talks about that. They they were persecuting Jesus. So when they were persecuting him, they weren't hitting him yet. The word here for persecute is a legal term. This term means to put somebody on trial. What they did was, this is the pre-trial hearing, pre-Jesus Christ, uh, uh, his, his, um, crucifixion because they had an illegal trial the night before. This is a trial that they're putting Jesus on trial saying, defend yourself because what you're looking like is bothering us. And so he goes on and Jesus responds, listen, I want you to understand several things as we get into this context. First off, Jesus is answering their questions and their persecution. That's number one. Number two, Jesus is not explaining his role before he came to earth here, nor necessarily his glorification post the resurrection. Jesus is describing the uniqueness of his role when he took on an additional nature and came to earth. He's chopping up how he's able to do what he's able to do. While in his humiliated state. This is, this is crazy here. And so, and, so, and so he goes in verse 17 and it says, in, in answer to them saying, why are you doing these things on the Sabbath? It says, but he answered them, my father is working until now and I myself am working. Why would he, Jesus, I mean, like Jesus, sometimes I was like, Jesus, why do you respond some of the ways you respond? Because I'm scared for you. 
I mean, because they already persecuting them. And, you know, you in Exodus 31, if you broke the Sabbath, they were going to stone you to death. I mean, everybody was going to get their curveball on. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus amps it up and says, my father is working until now. I myself am working. This, 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 this brings us to our first point. Jesus works are eternally in concert with the works of the Father. Jesus' works are eternally in concert with the works of the Father. Let's, let's, let's go back. The Sabbath. The Sabbath, let's go back to Genesis and let's think back. The, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it begins to go through this crazy log of uh, and documentation and journaling of the works of God. And it talks about, and he created this, and it was good. He created this, and it was good. He created this, and it was good. On the fourth day, on the fifth day, on the sixth day, then it says, on the seventh day, God chilled out. And it's like, how in the world could an eternal God who eternally exists, feeds off himself, doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to go to the bathroom, doesn't need to brush his hair, doesn't need a shape up, doesn't need to wash his clothes, doesn't need to get his throne room dusted, doesn't need his fingernails cut, doesn't get hair caught into his eyes and have to go like this and get one of the hairs out. He doesn't have to brush his teeth. He doesn't have to floss. He doesn't have to put on deodorant. He doesn't have to do anything, but he chose on the seventh day to chill. As if he needed to rest. Never gets exhausted. It's all enduring because it's the Bible says from, from everlasting to everlasting, he's God. That means he, he, he's, he's this way, that way, plus he never gets tired of doing what he does. So how in the world, after six days, would it seem that God needs rest? And so it says that God instituted it, and the Bible says that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. And when when the Bible talks about the Father, the Father resting, it means he rested from his creative work. In other words, he just stopped creating. But it was a picture of what we need to do. And it's a picture of what things are going to eternally be like when we chill with him in the eternal Sabbath, Hebrews chapter 4. Stay with me. I'm not losing you, Emma. Stay with me. And so Jesus makes the statement after they talk about him healing on the Sabbath, he's playing on their understanding. He says, my father (laughs) has been working until now, and I am working also. Now, Jesus is saying something very unique here, is that the Sabbath doesn't stop God from working. On the Sabbath, if God stopped all of his work, he would fall apart, eternity would fall apart, the world would fall apart, and we would fall apart, because even on the Sabbath, God is working, holding all things together. That was a Jewish understanding of Sabbath. So they, they had an argument about it. Does God keep the Sabbath? I mean, they argued about everything. But, they, but the, 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 the rabbinic um, cats in, in here, they argued about everything. And Jesus says, just as the Father sustains life on the Sabbath, so does the Son sustain life on the Sabbath. 
So he says, the reason why I healed this cat was to be a reflection of the father who sustains life. And since the father sustains life and I sustain life, that means that I am not only equal with the father in power and existence, but I am Lord over the Sabbath. Now, you're not going to like this stuff if you don't like just hearing stuff about Jesus. If you don't like hearing about Jesus, then you're not going to like this stuff. But I like to hear Jesus kind of pop his eternal collar a little bit every now and then. And so, and so they respond to it. <laughs> they respond to it. And it says, for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, that was worthy of death, but also he was calling God his own father, personal father, making himself equal with God. Making himself equal with God. Stamp this in your brain cavity. Everything that Jesus Christ says after this is because he's offended. Jesus is offended because they think that he's trying to make himself equal with the Father. So he divinely says, how dare you say that I make myself equal with the Father? See, don't get it twisted. See, most people would think that Jesus would recant from equality. He's not recanting from equality. He's recanting from their belief that he would make himself equal with the Father. Now let's understand with me, this is what he's getting issue with. This is what Jesus is perturbed about. This is what he's ticked about, is that they think that he would make himself God beside God. In other words, that he would make himself into another God separate from God the Father. And so he's answering their assertion that you're making yourself better than God the Father. And Jesus says, first off, y'all don't even understand the Messiah. Y'all don't understand the kingdom. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to humor you. And it's very few times when Jesus is in this situation or he asks a question that he actually explains anything. If you look through most of the Gospels, when an assertion goes against Jesus or somebody asks Jesus a question, listen, Jesus usually just asks them a question back. But Jesus, being the meticulous Messiah that he is, he moves in to make sure that they have a proper understanding of him. So that brings me to my next point. Jesus' identity is misunderstood. We live in a culture where Jesus Christ is misunderstood. I remember um, when, I was, um, when, when I first trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and and, 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 and the church that led me to Christ um, did not disciple me. And because they did not disciple me, pour into me the fundamental nutrition of the Christian faith, I got frustrated and the nation of Islam began to disciple me. And one of the things that I noticed as I was studying Orthodox Islam, Nation of Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of these other Faiths was Christology, is the thing that makes us different. And if Christians misunderstand 
who Jesus is, then we have thrown ourselves into the pot of stew called pluralism. Say pluralism. Pluralism is the attempt. All pluralism isn't bad. That's how segregation got done away with. That's how slavery got done away with. But then there's the so social pluralism is nothing wrong with it. But spiritual, stay with me, y'all. Y'all got to stay with me. Spiritual pluralism is what we have an issue with. In other words, I'm not ecumenical in that I'll set the beauty of the eternal Christ on the table with another one of somebody else's faith and not have an issue with it. See, pluralism says, listen, pluralism says that you set Jesus on the table, you set Buddha on the table, you set Krishna, you set every major person on the table, and let's dialogue how we can find out things about one another because this is really 360 degrees of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. (laughs) I talked crazy back then, you know, just... See, I'm busting up my wisdom, you know what I'm saying? And so, but, 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 but no, 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 no. Here we have to, this is why it's very important, because Jesus never wants his identity to be misunderstood. And so Jesus Christ is now taking the time. Everything in this passage has to do with him responding to them saying he's making himself equal with God because, he, because they're saying you're trying to usurp the authority of the father. But he goes down and he responds to it. He sa- Jesus says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, <laughs> the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. <laughs> That brings me to my next point. Jesus' equality with the Father flows out of dependence, not insubordination. Let me say that again. Jesus' equality with the Father flows out of dependence on the Father, not insubordination. Jesus is trying to make sure that they understand something. In him taking on an additional nature and becoming flesh, Jesus Christ wants them to understand several things about his relationship with the Father. First, that he's dependent on the Father. Jesus says, I can do nothing of myself. He said, me and the Father are so cool. Me and the Father are so locked in together that I don't just do stuff. He says, he says, me and the Father are so linked up and locked up that we always agree on everything. But he's saying specifically here, not just that they agree, but I have a dependence on the Father. And we're going to jump into Philippians in a minute because I really want you to, to, to get an understanding of this. He says, truly, truly, I said to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. The imagery here, and they would have understood what he was saying, was back in their day, sons, especially the firstborn, if the father had a business, whether he was a carpenter or he was a farmer or whatever type of merchant or whatever he was, what the son would do is the son would, would get with the father. And what he would do is the father would, would rule out even the younger brothers 
and other people. He wouldn't let anybody buy the business. It was a family business. Stay with me. And so what the father would do is he would give special privilege to the son. And when he gives special privilege to the son, he would show him stuff. He would explain stuff to the son. In other, and, and, and what the son would do is the son, while Pop is on the job working, he would mimic the father. He would look at the father, and if the father scoops up like this, he'd scoop up the exact same way. If he plants a seed like this, the son is practicing, making sure that he plants seeds the exact same way the father does, because he want, he wants so, the son would want so much to make things go, because it's an honor system. And if you jack up what the father has set up, then it would bring shame on the family. And so what the son, listen, what the son would do is the son would meticulously and intensively work hard to make sure that he properly does everything in unison and exactly the same way the father does so that there's not a slip in the family name. Jesus says, just like in our culture, in their culture rather, that we do that just alike. The son, the son, look, I do it just like the father. But notice the implications here. In order, listen, in order to perfectly mimic the father, you had to be God. Did y'all hear that? In order to perfectly do what God the Father does, you got to have God the Father's nature. If you do not have God the Father's nature, you can work as hard as you want to, but you will fumble, you will mismanage funds. You would do all type of stuff to jack up the business. I mean, if I was the son, I'd have tore the business up. Nobody would get saved. You know, I mean, mismanagement of souls. I'm like, where where'd he go? I don't know where. I'm losing people. I mean, Jesus says no. <laughs> Jesus meticulously mimics the works of the Father. Jesus defends his position by emphasizing his utter dependence on the father because they were implying that he was operating of his own and setting himself up to be another God, just as powerful as Yahweh. Now, this is what this implies. Say Arianism. I want y'all to understand this. This is very important. These are very important things that elders have to pour into a flock so that you will not be um, duped. Earlier, early on, a little under 2,000 years ago, Tertullian, one of the church fathers, was grappling with the sonship of Jesus Christ. He was grappling. And he fumbled the ball on this one. He said that God the Father is God. The Son was created sometime in eternity. This is very important stuff, y'all. He was created in eternity, but given divine privilege that's different than other people. And so what happened is he kind of just scribbled that down. Then a little while goes past, and a dude named Arius, he picked it up, and he began to say that the son isn't divine at all. He's just a created buddy like Batman and Robin. You know, Batman, hey, Batman, where do you want me to go? You know, that's what Jesus is kind of like. <laughs> 
like a sidekick of the father. And so this went on and on and on. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because in our day and age, there are groups of people that are Aryans. And I've seen many of professed Christians fall away from the faith because they weren't taught proper Christology and somebody else came and taught them Arianism and they fell away from the faith, committed apostasy. There are several groups that are Arians. Orthodox Islam, they are Arians. Number two, Nation of Islam, they're Arians. But the main group of Arians are Jehovah Witnesses. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Archangel Michael, a created being with privilege. So next time they knock on your door, you got some, don't, don't be just kicking, because somebody, as soon as they get some new information, you know how we do. Oh, Arianism, you know what I'm saying? Let me, let me, Arian, yo, you are Arian. They're like, Arian, what in the world is that? So, you know, <laughs> you know how we get a new word and we want to floss, you know, like new dictionary stuff. Um. Especially if we're not used to using big words and stuff. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is important stuff. And so Jesus wants to correct their understanding of his relationship to the Father. Because if they misunderstood his relationship with the Father, then they couldn't get saved. So this is very important. And so he, go, he goes on from there and he says, For whatever the Father does, these things... The Son does in like manner. So although the Father and the Son eternally exist together and share the essence of eternal attributes, that's back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Stay with me. The Son in the incarnation has relinquished, listen, the independent use of his attributes, power, and authority. Let me explain that. Over in, I'm about to say over in Epiphany chapter, uh, over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says something very, 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 very needed for the church to understand about this topic. Verse 5, it says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it says, who although he existed in the form of God, that word their form is the Greek word morphe. Say morphe. What this means is form doesn't mean that outer form. It means everything that God is, he is. Stay with me. Everything that God is, he is. And it says he existed in the form of God and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or he counted it robbery. The, the, the word could be translated plunder or to take something by force. Remember, they said he was making himself equal with the father. Jesus says, I don't have to make myself equal with the father because I am equal with the father. He says, I'm offended that you think that I would try to take something from God the father. No, Jesus says, I don't take anything from God because if you knew what I went through to get here, you wouldn't think that I try to take anything. I've actually diminished or relinquished my independent use of who I am without the Father's permission. So when Jesus Christ came to earth, 
He had to get permission from the Father to enact his deity. He didn't stop being God. This is important stuff, y'all. Stick with me. He didn't stop being God, but he did stop using the expressiveness of his power without the Father's permission. And so in a minute, Jesus is going to localize us to the things that God gave him the freedom to continue to floss post his baptism. What is his baptism? Well, his baptism was points back to the Old Testament when prophets or kings were, I mean, well, kings were appointed. And what would happen is, is when a king was appointed, they would pour oil over the head. If you remember my man that was in Jesse's crib, David, when, 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 when Samuel came over to his house, he came with an alabaster of oil. And when he came over with that oil, he was going to pour. And God was very meticulous about him improperly pouring that oil on the wrong head. And so he made sure that it was poured on the head of David. So when that oil was was poured on his head. The Bible says, and the spirit of God came upon David mightily. When Jesus at his baptism was dipped under water and he came up out of the water, it was the same imagery because, listen, um, because John held two offices. John held the office of prophet and priest. But because his father was Zechariah, a Levitical priest, uh, Aaronic priest rather, and, 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 and he was also a prophet of God. But Jesus, holding three offices, was consummating the all, and, and beginning to walk in all three of his offices. When he came out of the water, the Spirit of God came upon him, and now he was ready to enact the things that God had appointed from the foundations of the world that they had agreed upon him doing to do. This is Jesus, y'all. <laughs> and, 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 and he goes further as he talks about it. He says, for the father loves the son. <laughs> Again, he's still explaining why he doesn't have to make himself equal with the father. He says, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. This is crazy. And greater works, and greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. Greater works than these shall he show the son that everybody could trip out. Jesus' equality with the Father flows out of relationship and a revelation, not selfish ambition and speculation. Let me say that again. Jesus' equality with the Father flows out of relationship and revelation, not selfish ambition and speculation. <laughs> In John 1, 8, 18, a beautiful statement is made. All of this is playing on that. It says, no man has seen God at any time except the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. So Jesus Christ eternally kicked it at the table with the Father. But when he came to earth... He continued in his deity to see the works of the Father, but he in his humanity was working the works of the Son. 
is bananas. And then he goes and he says, no man has seen God. But the Bible says that Moses saw God face to face. Nah. He only saw residue of the glory of God face to face. Jesus stared into the unapproachable life of the Father. Into the, of the unapproachable, he stared the Father in the grill eternally and got to know him better than anyone. So he says, this is the one who is the only one that's qualified to explain the Father. That word explain is another good little word that we use. It's called, it's where we get our word exegesis from. Exegesis. It says Jesus exegetes the Father. He said extra Jesus. Some of y'all thought of Flames album right away. Exegesis. Exegesis is a word to me to draw out of or to clearly explain or to give a, a detailed report of something. To give a detailed report of something. So what Jesus came to do was to give a detailed report of who the Father is. God's main, Jesus' main prerogative, this is important for Christians, is to explain who the Father is because we don't know him. Now, it's kind of like after a game, I used to notice that like Shaq and Jordan, all of them always had like the same reporter all the time. They had the same reporter. And I found out that the reason why a lot of the athletes get the same reporter is because they want their story to be told accurately. And this, and this reporter has built, built up a clientele and a capital with uh, the athlete in order that the athlete can trust sharing with that reporter in order that the reporter may not, you know, you say one thing and you look in the paper, it's a whole nother story. You know what I'm saying? But no, nah, no, nah, it's the same thing that was said and was properly couched so people can understand it based on what the athlete wanted the world to know about them as it relates to the interview or the report that the reporter did. What well, Jesus Christ is God's interviewer and reporter. And what Jesus Christ came to do is he, because the Father deemed him eternally trustworthy to properly explain him, he says, go explain me. And Jesus is the only one that can give striking footage of what it looks like to kick it with God the Father. And when Christians kick it with Jesus, we get credit for kicking it with God the Father. Because when you kick it with Jesus, you kick it with the Father. You can't try to kick it with the Father and not kick it with Jesus. What we have to understand is Jesus, listen, this is, this is, this is, I, I want to say this as a side note. We don't give revelation to anybody. Let me say that again. We don't give revelation to in, anybody. Revelation is shut down. God is revealing himself through Jesus now. Hebrews 1, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 and 2. It's shut down. Pro apostles, prophets, built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. This is a doctrine Sunday, so stay with me. And then he goes in, and, and, and the Bible says that he's revealing himself in the Son. And so what happens is, is we don't do, re we don't, I got a revelation for you right now. I speak to your life right now. And oh, mm, I got a revelation over. No, you ain't getting no revelation. 
This is what the Christian is supposed to do. The Bible says that people can't get in contact with the Father without Jesus. People can't get in contact with Jesus without preaching. I said something right there. Preaching. (laughs) When we preach, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus because we're going to find out later when the Spirit of God hears the name of Jesus, he can sniff it out. And when the Spirit of God sniffs out the name of Jesus being proclaimed, he zooms into the midst because he's, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's loving that thing. And what the, what the Spirit of God does is he reveals Jesus. When the Spirit of, so we preach the Holy Spirit, so we preach Jesus, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, open up the person's eyes to accept or believe Jesus. Listen, Jesus reveals the Father. The only revelation that is done is by two parts of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit and Jesus. All we do is preach. I don't know about you, but the revelation of the Son. I didn't want to go here. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God, that Paul prays that their minds would be illumined to understand the revelation. In other words, the revelation is already revealed, but now our minds are to be opened to understand the revelation. So Jesus Christ, this, this is important, y'all. If anybody comes to you giving you a revelation, they are lying. If they are elaborating on the already revealed revelation, then they might be telling the truth. Because you got to check and see if they're properly reflecting the revelation that they said they're explaining. <laughs> So all of this is Jesus' answer to the people about his offendedness, that they think that he would make himself equal with the Father. He says, no, the Father loves me, and because the Father loves me, he freely, in my humanity right here on earth, he still reveals himself to me. This is important. He says, he says, for the father loves the son. We actually like each other. And it's interesting that he uses the word phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia from. But it's no different than agape in its uses there. It means that the, the father is used interchangeably in John's gospel. It just means that the father, he not only unconditionally loves the son, but he actually likes the son. That's real important. He's not just agapeing. He's he's talking about a love that's based on a relationship. So Jesus tells them, listen, why why would I do that to the father when we got a banging relationship? I don't need to do that. And it says, and shows him all things that he himself is doing. Present tense. But then it says, in greater works 
than these will he show him that you may marvel. The works that Jesus is talking about in context, two things. Healing on the Sabbath and his power over the Sabbath. Jesus says if you think those two things were something, then wait around a little longer. Greater things than these shall you see so that you can be blown away by the Father through me. Then he goes further and he says, for just, this is crazy here, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he wishes. (laughs) Jesus just said some crazy stuff just now. He says that in his humanity, not just in his pre-existent state, but right now, in because the hypostatic union, I mean, Jesus taking on additional nature, all it means is, is, is two natures, one person, united forever. And so now, as he's united with the Father, he says, the Father, the Father, for just as the Father raises the dead, so he gives an example, and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Jesus Christ says that I'm sovereign over giving eternal life to people. Jesus, he's, now, now check out what he's saying. Remember last week we were wondering why he chose that invalid? Remember how we said it was five porches and it was, thou, it was about a thou, bunch of people out there? And out of all the people that he went to, he just went to a guy without him exercising faith, and he just chose him. He just chose him out of the crowd and, told, and commanded him, get up, take up your pallet, and walk. Jesus says, just like I walked up to that dude and told him, get up, take up your pallet and walk is the same way I can go to an unregenerate person and tell them be born again. And if I want them to be born again, they will be born again. And they can't help but be born again because the son said it. You missed that. You missed that. You thought it was you, didn't you? You thought it was you, didn't you? No, Jesus, when you trusted Jesus as Savior, Jesus said, be born again, and you were born again. Jesus says, I give life to who I want to, fam. He's going to say later, cats can't even come to me unless the Father, you know, puts out some crumbs for him to come to a brother. I just wanted to talk about Jesus this morning, if y'all don't mind. So I'm loving the sovereignty of the Son. That's what it's talking about. What does sovereignty mean? That's a big word, right? Sovereignty means that God, I like the way grandmama used to say it. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. So Jesus, in his human state is able to exact 
divine sovereignty over the lives and souls of people going from spiritual death to spiritual life. (laughs) Man, I'm excited if y'all ain't. Then he goes in and he begins to close it out. And he says, for not even, he says, not even the father judges anyone, but he gives judgment, all judgment over to the son. He gives all judgment over to the son. He gives all judgment over to the son. Another good little Greek word that we get our word from, it's a word called crisis. The Greek word here is crisis. The Bible says that Jesus, in the father handing all crisis over to Jesus, God hands all his judgment power over to the son. The Bible says that the father is not even judging anymore. But under Jewish thought, it was always understood that the father always judged. Always judged. But Jesus says that the father has, has in, in their role of being equal, they're connected, they're equal, they're, so they're equal in essence, all the nutrition that makes God God, but in his role in the triune and in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Trinity is that the Father has delegated the, the act of judgment to the Son. The Bible says that when, 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 when and he's talk, not just talking about ultimate judgment. Now, why would he talk about judgment here? Somebody's mind went to John 3.17 where it says that Jesus did not come to judge. He did not come to judge. But here he does distinguish situations while he's on earth, but he's talking about ultimate judgment. See, Jesus came to earth the first time, that's his first advent, here for salvific purposes. But when he comes back the next time, he's going to morph from a lion into a, a, a lamb into a lion. He came the first time as a lamb. But when he comes back the next time, he's going to be like a transformer and he's going like a, a mighty morphing power ranger. And he's going to turn for right in front of your eyes. You're going to be, oh, look at the lamb. <laughs> then the lamb going to shake like this. You're going to be, Rah! You're going to be like, oh, snap. The son judging. Joel says that God, the son, is going to tell the kings of the earth to meet him in a valley called Jehoshaphat. He said, meet me down there. You know how you say after school. Meet me after school at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. You remember those days. You'd be shook. <laughs> <clears throat> Psalm 2 says that the kings of the earth think they can hold weight with the sun. The sun invites the kings of the earth, say, come on down with a brother. Tear these cats up down in the valley. And Jesus invites the weightiest dudes with the gift of fighting in the world down to the valley to crush him. And he's judging all those people. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to be surfing on that cloud. And when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, Zechariah says that the, the Mount of Olives is going to split in half. 
and the books of judgment are going to be open. And the people that rejected or the, uh, that rejected the son will now be held accountable. And so Jesus says, listen, I didn't take equality with God. God gave it to me. And there are even things that the father doesn't do anymore that he's given over to me to take care of. And matter of fact, God ain't like saying take my light work. He's saying take all my work in judging people. So the father doesn't judge anyone anymore, but he has given judgment to the son. This is banging stuff. Then he says, and this is the purpose of it. In order that all, I'm going to close on this. He says, in order that all may honor the son, even as they honor the father, he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Bananas. Jesus says the same honor, watch out, glory, the father is due, the same the son is due. Now check this out. Let's look at some of the honor that the father was due in the OT. (coughs) Over in Leviticus chapter 10 verse 3 it says, it says, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. Isaiah 29, 13, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they, re- but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Malachi 2, 2 says, If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. Honor. The Father, God has always been getting honor. And he says, the same way cats, when I, when, when I was on the, when I, when I showed up over the mountain, over the mountain, and I started talking to people, and all it sounded like was a raging thunderstorm. You think some of the craziest hip hop concerts hurt your ears? You can't imagine hearing the living God talk. And he said, and, and he said, it's, it's, man, they said, Moses, tell God to chill. God says, all right, they respect me now. He says, now, I got some orders for y'all since y'all respect me now. Don't touch the mountain or y'all going to sleep. Honor. That same type of honor of just not rolling up on him. <laughs> the son, we're not, like sometimes we, because Jesus is, has taken on an additional nature of human, we think we can just roll up on him and then respect the father. We think we just, well, you know, that's the father, but that's Jesus. What's up, man? What's up, dog? Nah, man. Jesus says, you better slow your roll. Pull back. Fall back on that one. He said, listen, he says, the same honor that's due to the father in Psalm, I mean, Isaiah 42, 8 says that God will not give his honor to anybody. He said, and I will not share my praise with another. So either God is lying or Jesus is lying. Or they're one. (laughs) Or they're one. And Jesus says, look, he's going to say all the way through this gospel, he's going to say, Father, man, I'm sick of these people. Glorify me with the glory we had before I came down this joint. Jesus says, listen. 
Peter cut off somebody's ear. He says, listen, chill out. I can, man, I can say, call to heaven like that. And man, God has sent 72,000 angels out. You know how dudes on the block, who the who? Dudes come out of the woodwork with, you know, heat. He said, Jesus says, listen, I can call for heat. Chill out. Chill out. Jesus, listen, Jesus, next time you lift your hands in worship, this is all today was about. I want you to think of the son differently. That's all all that was about. It's to honor the son. If we dishonor Jesus, if we front on him, we fronting on the father. We want to be a community that lives in light of the beauty of the gospel that's revealed in Jesus. We want to be a community that reverences the Son. Like I know some of us, you know, we got our shirt out of our pants. Some of us have our hair all over the place. Half of it braided, the rest a bush. And we can be perceived as dishonoring the Father or dishonoring the Son. Our goal is not to become a megachurch. Our goal is not to fleece the flock. Our goal as male elders is not to sleep with as many sisters in the flock that we can. Our goal and our ambition is to honor the Son. Listen, and when the Son is honored, everything else falls into place. Some of you are looking for so many things to happen in your life. And the Father is calling you back to a simple principle. Honor the Son. Many of us have been, God is calling us. Like, everybody wants the next level. But Jesus, God says, honor my son. Honor him. Honor him. Honor him in your thought life. Honor him in the way you relate to others. Honor him. There's so many implications of this text that I don't have time to live out. But one of the beautiful implications of this text is the fact That the son is dependent on the father. And the father in return makes sure that nobody trips on his son. They operate in community. One of the greatest ways that we can honor the son is to be in community just like the son. And not depending on himself, but depending on a community. We need to, the purpose of our gatherings is not just to gather. The purpose is to reflect the eternal community that the Father has with the Son. And reflect that through dependence, through submission to authorities, to understanding, our, like we said a few weeks ago, understanding our role. 
not being more than who we should be and less than we should be. Honoring the son. Real simple stuff. It's important. It's important. It's a, and I'm shutting it down. It's a viable, viable importance that we take the son seriously. And the more seriously we take the son, the more seriously we take the son, the more God will lavish on us. And this is dope. The next verse says the, the, how you honor the son. <laughs> Real simple. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of judgment into life. Honoring the son means believing the, whatever the son says. <laughs> for many, that will be you trusting Christ for the first time. You've called Jesus less than God. That's dishonoring. That's dissonant. God calls us to repentance of that. But also for us as Christians, honoring the Son is to do what he says. Real simple. Believe what he says. Some of us have trust issues. Work through your trust issues and believe the Son. Say it again. Work through your trust issues and believe in the Son. I have trust issues. Every last one of us in here has trust issues. And Jesus calls all of us to honor him through working through our trust issues. And the more you work through those trust issues, the more God will be pleased with your life. Lord God, we thank you.